John chapter 20 and verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And going to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Well, good morning, Doxa Church. Our Lord is alive. He is risen. And I'm so happy that we get to celebrate that this morning together as a church. My name is David Duran, and I am the church planting resident here at Doxa. Uh, Randy, our, our teaching pastor, he found out late this past week that he would not be able to be here today, but uh, I know that he's watching online and that he is worshiping with us here in spirit this morning. Um, I also, I want to say good morning to all of our Doxa family who are watching and they're worshiping from home. I want you to know that we miss seeing you and we look forward to you being able to come back and worship here in person with us. So I am, I am so excited to be able to preach this morning on a day that has such a special significance to it. We know that every Sunday that we gather, every Sunday that we have together as a church, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And I would even say that every worshipful gathering of Christians, it must have some emphasis on the resurrection and on the gospel, or, or it's not Christian. But on Easter, or on Resurrection Sunday, as some call it, we celebrate in a special way the defeat of death and the hope of salvation. Our sins were paid for on the cross. And as we recognize and remember Christ's resurrection, we're reminded of our own resurrection that is to come someday. Friends, today is a special time for us to celebrate. It's a, it's a special time for us to worship. I know that many of, many of us, maybe even all of us here, we have fun traditions and different things that we like to do around Easter. A lot of us are probably gonna go home to a big Easter lunch, maybe even a, an Easter egg hunt later. But don't lose sight as to why this day is so special. Today is the day where we join with millions of Christians around the world, millions of Christians throughout history in celebrating the victory of our Savior. Through his victorious death and resurrection, friends, we remember that we too have victory over sin and victory over death. Well, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to start looking over the passage that's already been read for us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out some things, and I'm going to try to make points of application that I hope will encourage you 
and help you in your walk as a Christian. But more than anything else, I want this morning to be a time of worship. All of this morning is a time of worship. I want us to walk out of here today at the end of this service with hearts bursting with adoration and love for God. I hope we get to the end of our time together and we are all stunned and amazed by our Savior. My prayer this morning and this week has been that each of us will have our affections and our desires stirred in a way that leads to greater love for Christ. Thinking about the resurrection of Christ, it should always produce joy in the hearts of those who believe. No matter what we're going through in our lives, real difficult struggles, real tough things that we're facing, when we think about the resurrection, there's a bubbling of joy that comes up in our hearts. Christian, I hope, I hope you'll be filled with joy as we worship our King together. Well, let me, let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at our passage. And I, I mentioned this last week, but I want to remind you, I want to say this again, that this isn't just David up here praying. Let's, let's all pray these words in our hearts as I say them out loud and lead us in this. So would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are here today to worship you. We are here today to sing your praises. We're here to give you the glory that you deserve. Father, we know that you could have let us die in our sins. You didn't have to send your son to die in our place. You would have been perfectly just to let all of us die with the stain of sin still upon us. But while we were weak and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You showed your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You, Jesus, you bore our sins in your body on the cross. You were sinless, but you took on our sin. And Jesus, our only reasonable response is to offer our lives as living sacrifices to you. Oh, we worship you, Lord. We pray, God, that you would, you would help us in our doubts. Help us when we struggle to believe a story that might seem impossible to our human minds. I pray that the, we pray that the reality of the resurrection would shake each of us. Help us to see Areas of our lives where we're living as if the resurrection is nothing more than a fairy tale. Father, we think about the accounts of what happened to those who were liberated by the resurrection. Mary Magdalene went from experiencing profound grief to, to mission as she would go and tell others that she had seen the Lord. The disciples, they were moved from fear to gladness. Thomas went from real doubt to sincere faith. And all of this happened because they began to believe and understand the magnitude of the resurrection. God, we pray that there would be people in our gathering today who would be liberated as your Holy Spirit brings true understanding as to what the resurrection means for them. Father, we ask that you would give each of us a heart to make the news of your resurrection, the, the news of the resurrection of your son known. 
Give us courage and boldness to declare unashamedly that our King is alive. Wake us up if we've fallen into a spiritual slumber. God, as we get ready to look at your word, I pray that you would bring illumination to our minds. Help us to understand what's here and help us to be changed by it. Please don't let us look at this passage and remain the same. Change us. Shape us into the people that you desire us to be. Father, please help me to speak in a way that brings you glory. And help everybody here, help us all to have a a greater love for you. May we sense your presence, God, as we continue to worship and look at your word. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 to 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the fact upon which our faith is based. As Paul Paul puts it in that passage, our faith is worthless. It's pointless if Jesus did not, in fact, rise from the dead. Brothers and sisters, our faith depends on the testimony and the, the transformed behavior of those who had actually seen the resurrection. Each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record this crucial event. And while the the wording and the phrasing may be a little bit different in each of the Gospels, and and by the way, that actually is a, it testifies to their truthfulness, but the Bible, it clearly teaches that Jesus physically rose from the grave. That, That sentiment is also expressed in our statement of faith, which all of us who are members here, we, we subscribe to this. And if you're here with us this morning and you're visiting, I think it's important for you to know just what we believe about this Jesus who we're celebrating. And if Doxa Church is your home, I want you to be reminded of what we hold to be true. We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, he was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life and was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. That's what we believe here. And this is what all of us who are followers of Jesus believe. But how do we know that any of this is actually true? Specifically, how can we know that Jesus rose from the dead? We don't want to place our faith blindly into something. Where should we look if we want to know if any of this is true? Well, the first place that we must look is to an eyewitness account. The Apostle John, who who wrote the, the account that we're looking at today, he was at the site of the empty tomb. And John, he has a lot more here in this passage than just wanting us to know that Jesus is alive, 
Now that, that's certainly, without question, that's the big point that he's driving at. He wants his readers to know that the grave is empty, but there's more for us in this passage. So what I want to do is just nine verses. I'm going to read it for us again, and then I have some points of application that I hope will help you in your life as a Christian. So let's read our passage again together. If you have your Bible, open it in front of you. I encourage you to follow, follow along with me as I read. John 20, verses 1 through 9. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw the stone that had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Well, our passage begins with a woman named Mary Magdalene walking to the tomb of Jesus early in the morning while it was still dark. You'll remember Mary was one of the women who Jesus had delivered from demonic bondage. And she had been a faithful disciple of Jesus. John tells us in chapter 19 of his gospel that Mary was standing by the cross when Jesus was crucified. Well, here, Mary is going to the tomb of her Lord, not because she believes he is risen, but to finish anointing the body of Jesus. And John doesn't tell, tell us that specifically, but Mark and Luke, they do provide that detail for us in their gospels. Now, what I want to do right here at the beginning, I want to point out two things for you that I think are very important in verse 1. John mentions that it was the first day of the week, and he points out that it was still dark. I think there is significance for us in each of those statements. We might expect John to say something like, on the third day, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. After all, Jesus, he was supposed to rise on the third day. He said things like, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. Another time he said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Why does John, in his gospel, and in each of the, the other gospels as well, why did they say on the first day of the week? I think that the gospel writers are being very intentional about the language that they're using here. I think that the writers are pointing to the fact that the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of something brand new. The resurrection will forever change the course of human history. The resurrection, it provides the decisive evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He really is God incarnate. He truly is the God-man. One of the reasons that the resurrection event is so highly debated is because the stakes 
are so incredibly high. Make no mistake about it, if you are here today and you are wavering, you're unsure as if, as to if all this really happened, there could be no higher stakes. If Jesus is alive, then he is Lord of all. If he's dead, then he's no different than all the other religious figures throughout history. If you're here today and you're unsure about who Jesus is, know that today could be the start of something brand new for you. Believing and trusting in Jesus' perfect sacrifice on your behalf and clinging to the reality of his resurrection, it could lead to the start of a brand new life for you. The Apostle Paul writes in another place, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In our passage, John, he also points out the darkness of the hour when Mary arrives at the tomb. This is different from the other accounts as well. He specifically mentions that it was still dark. This is much like Mary's understanding of everything that is happening at this point. Mary, she doesn't yet know that Jesus is alive. She doesn't yet believe in the resurrection. Maybe you've walked in here today on Easter Sunday and you are unsure about this whole resurrection and Christianity thing. I want to make it very clear again, today could be the start of something new for you. Today could be the day where God brings light to your mind and you finally see Jesus for who he really is. I want you to know that there are lots of people who have been praying for a long time that that might happen to someone here today. If you're here today and you're searching for answers, you're searching and you're wondering who Jesus is, who's this Messiah that these Christians praise and worship, if you have questions, please don't leave here today without talking to someone. Well, Mary, she arrives at the tomb and immediately she assumes the worst. She runs and tells, uh, she runs to get Peter and John and she tells them essentially that she thinks that Jesus' body has been stolen. She says, they've taken the Lord and the tomb is empty. We don't know where they've, where they've laid him. Now, grave robbing, that was a common thing. It was a common occurrence in the first century. And her first thought that Jesus' body must have been stolen, it, it may not have been a, a crazy thought. He was here, now he's not. Somebody must have taken his body. But frankly, this, this is just not a likely scenario because we see expensive linen and spices that would have been left behind. But regardless, Peter and John, they take off running towards the tomb to see what's going on. And it's at this point that Peter and John become prominent in our story. And just so there isn't any confusion, John is the one being described here as the one whom Jesus loved. I want you to notice the contrast between Peter and John as they arrive at the tomb. We see that, that John gets there first. He's much younger than Peter. He outran him to the tomb. John gets there first, and he sees the linen cloths and the face cloth lying there, but he doesn't go in. He hangs back. Peter, on the other hand, he rushes to the tomb, stoops down, and immediately looks in. And if you know Peter from the gospel accounts that are written about him, uh, 
this sort of impulsive decision is pretty typical of his nature. This is the same guy who a couple days ago, uh, when Jesus was being arrested, he took out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest or the ear of the servant of the high priest. Peter makes some pretty uh, impulsive decisions. Well, it's only after Peter has looked into the tomb that John enters. And John, thinking back on what Jesus has said, on Jesus' life, he reaches the only possible conclusion. The grave clothes are still there. The face cloth is folded up. It's in a place over by itself. The body is gone. This has to mean that Jesus is alive. We don't know what's going on in Peter's head at this moment. Again, if you've read through the Gospels, quite quite frequently it's difficult to know what's going on in Peter's head. But the story seems to indicate that Peter did not yet understand the importance of the moment. John, on the other hand, as our text says, he saw and he believed. He may not have understood the significance of what had taken place. He probably, he didn't understand everything that the resurrection meant for him, everything that the resurrection meant for the world, but he saw and he believed. He believed that Christ had risen. Brothers and sisters, when we say that we believe in the resurrection and we believe in Christ, it has to be more than just intellectual assent. It has to be more than a a tipping of the hat to the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. Friends, Satan believes. He knows with absolute certainty that Christ has risen from the dead. He knows what this means for him and for his demise. When we say that we believe in Christ and in his resurrection, we have to mean that we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus. We submit to his lordship in our lives. Our belief, true belief, it has to involve a relationship. Christianity is not simply about ascribing to the cold, hard facts. Like, let me just check these things and say that I believe them. Yeah, that makes sense. I'll I'll go along with that. And then, then I'm a Christian. No, being a Christian, this is so important. Being a Christian is about being in union with Christ. We're united to Christ and we we share in his death as symbolized in our baptism. We share in his resurrection as we have been raised with Christ to new life. Our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And we will one day share in the victory of his promised return. When we believe in Christ and we, we experience the new birth, We become a new creation in Christ. It's like we get this new spiritual DNA within us, a DNA that desires to please God, honor God, worship him with our lives, bring glory to him in all that we do. True belief in Jesus that comes from the gift of faith, it gives us this new spiritual DNA. Charles Spurgeon once said, I love this quote, There is no joy in in this world like union with Christ. The more we feel it, the happier we are. As we celebrate the resurrection here in the service, throughout the rest of this day, let's remember the glorious union that we have with the risen Savior through faith in him. 
Now, at this point, at this point, John's faith, it was still in an infant stage. But this was the dawning of a faith that was going to grow. It leads me to a question that I want all of us to ask ourselves this morning. Do we possess faith that grows? Do we possess faith that grows? Just like the Apostle John, his faith here would grow. Believing in Christ and his resurrection, that's the starting point of our Christian faith. It's, it's the very beginning of our Christian journey. It never loses its importance. It never loses its significance. But nonetheless, this is where the Christian life begins. Christian, are you growing in your faith and in your relationship with Jesus? Are you growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That's the fruit of the Spirit. In our union with Christ, that union provides the basis for this growth. Our sanctification, our, our growth as a Christian is not based on our own achievement. It's not based on our own power. Praise God for that, right? Instead, it comes from our understanding of our union with Christ. And from this union with Christ, obedience and spiritual growth will follow our genuine belief. Doxa Church, we want to be people who have a robust and growing faith. The Apostle John, uh, his faith began at the tomb when he was still a young man. But as he matured in age, as he progressed in maturity, his relationship with Jesus grew as well. His faith and his trust in Jesus grew as well. Friends, the reason that John records this resurrection event and the reason that he wrote about this in his gospel is so that we would believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And in believing in Jesus, trusting in him as our savior, we should be moved to heartfelt worship of our king. John's gospel here, it's, it's undeniably evangelistic. If you still have your Bible open, look at what John says is the purpose of this book over in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20. Look, at, look at, the, at the purpose to why John wrote all of this. John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, true life is found in the person of Jesus. Our union with Christ through faith, it changes everything for us. And there's no, there's no greater way for us to celebrate Christ's resurrection and to remember our union with him and receive spiritual nourishment for our, our spiritual bodies than through taking communion together. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He's the door to the kingdom. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the true vine. Amen. When we take the bread and the juice, our spiritual bodies are nourished. 
as we remember what Christ has done for us. We're built up in the faith through taking communion together. I want you to know that communion is open this morning for all who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And I invite, and I look forward to taking communion with all of you here who have have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. All of you, everyone here who belongs to Jesus, come and take this meal with us together. So communion, it'll be served in four areas in the the gym here. Uh, There's going to be two areas at the back and two here at the front. And as the band leads us in worship and as you feel led, I invite you to come, receive communion, feast on Christ this morning. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this in prayer and then the band is going to lead us as we continue to worship. So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, this day is all about you. It has a special significance for us as we celebrate your resurrection together. God, I pray that the overwhelming feeling that we'll have for you, for you, for your son, be worship. God, I pray that somebody today would come to know you, to believe in your resurrection for the first time. They would come out of the darkness into the light and receive your son as savior. God, for those of us who are believers, God, I pray that we would remember the union that we have with Christ. That we have died. We have died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. That we have been crucified with Christ. We've been raised to new life. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We adore you. God, I pray that you would fill us with joy for your resurrection, especially if we're struggling in that this morning. We have busy lives, difficult lives. We face many trials and struggles, but God, we have reason to rejoice. We rejoice in your resurrection. Father, nourish us now as we take communion. Be with us as we continue in worship together. And I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.